just wanted to check in before the show. We uh, recorded this this show, which is, uh, I think, a, one of our better episodes with Kyle Stark before the COVID-19 crisis had really hit uh, the U.S., so we didn't address it then and wanted to now. Uh, obviously, it's affected everyone, um, <laughs> the whole world, and especially the athletics world. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people are struggling with it, and we definitely are, but wanted to look at the um, take some perspective from it and, and recognize that I think through coaching and through the teams and the players we've worked with, we've helped them learn how to problem solve and learn how to take on challenges. And I think the work that we've done is hopefully allowing them to, to be more prepared for trying situations like uh, we're facing now. And uh, I think the other big lesson for me was I think a lot of times when things are normal, uh, we don't appreciate it and we stress and we complain about these little things. And right now when things aren't normal and we don't get to play the sport that we love and coach the people that we care about, we do anything for it to be normal again. And so my hope is, uh, you know, when things get back going, I'll, I'll have more gratitude, more appreciation for, uh, you know, the so-called normal life. And I hope that's coming. Um, I know it's affected you, Billy, and your, your beach season. You guys uh, just got back from uh, Doha and, don't know when your next tournament is. So I don't know if you had anything to add. Yeah, I think you know, it's hard. Um, I know on our end, we're unemployed for the next few months. <laughs> but um, Like a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but I guess to make the most of the situation, um, I think you know it's important to strive to still be learning, still be getting better. And I think as a coach, um, there's a lot of resources out there. Um, that you can do from from your home, you know, a lot of books to read, a lot of podcasts, a lot of cool YouTube videos. Um, so even though if we're maybe away from our athletes or if you're an athlete away from the gym, um, still seek out some of those ways to get better. Um, because yeah, I heard I heard the uh, Coach Your Brains Out book is pretty good. That's a that's a great place to start. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but um, we'll still be putting out podcasts, and hopefully you can listen and enjoy. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Today, we're thrilled to have on the show the former assistant GM, general manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates, Kyle Stark. Kyle, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Look forward to spending some time with you guys today. Uh, us too. So, so before you got into baseball, you were a collegiate volleyball player, which uh, I know you said you played at Ball State. What led you to go from being a volleyball guy to a GM in uh, Major League Baseball? Well, I, um, I think I was probably first and foremost a baseball guy. Um, loved the game, grew up playing the game, coaching the game. Um, started coaching at whatever, 13 years old, just doing camps in order to go to camps and, and whatever else. So I was always a baseball guy, but grew up playing uh, volleyball as well. Uh, with my dad, there was no uh, boys high school uh, volleyball or anything. So grew up playing with adults. And, and um, just as I got closer to uh, time to go to school, uh, realized I probably had a little better opportunity to play higher level volleyball than baseball and, um, you know, pursued that opportunity. Um, 
and then uh, realized when I got out there that I was um, that six foot was really short for men's volleyball. Uh, <laughs> growing up, that wasn't the case necessarily, but I uh, get out there and just get the reality of, of that that level of ball. Um, you know, started to crystallize in terms of what I wanted to do next, and um, you know, my heart and, and uh, passion was always was baseball. And when I realized I wasn't going to be able to play it at the highest level, I wanted to be involved in it at some point somehow. And, um, you know, so started pursuing, um, well, you know, how could I work, um, in professional baseball? And that led to pursuing some further education and some coaching opportunities, and then ended up being able to transition, uh, in with the Cleveland Indians in, uh, 2004, I believe. And why, uh, why not coaching? Why, why'd you go into the managerial side? You know, looking back, I probably wish I would have stayed uh, on the field coaching. Um, I was coaching in college, and, um, you know, at that time, there wasn't necessarily a ton of uh, college coaches making the transition into uh, professional baseball. And so the opportunity happened to be uh, to go into the front office. Um, You know, I I think uh, the further I got away from coaching, the further that I, you know, advanced, the the more I missed it. Um, Part has been for coaching. Um, it was funny actually, as I was transitioning, I was coaching at St. Bonaventure University. And as I was transitioning in with the Indians, they had just uh, made some changes, uh, at the major league level and then adjusted their minor league staff. And, and, um, a guy, Chris Antonetti, who's now the president of baseball ops there called me and said, Hey, would you have interest in coaching instead of coming into the office? And I said, yeah, I'd probably rather <laughs> come over coaching. I uh, said, so, well, we got to work through a, a couple of uh, alternatives internally and, um, if those don't work out, then we, you know, we're probably going to follow back up with you. And they ended up working things out internally, but, um, so I ended up transitioning in on, on the front office side and then, and then went from there. So we wanted to get into team culture, which I think is a part of a coach or, uh, you know, being in the front office. And when I was, I got to spend some time with you, you guys at the pirates, and I thought this was something you guys did at a really high level. So I just want to get into like just how you define culture and, and why it's something that you value so highly. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think culture is obviously a buzzword and a lot of people, um, will talk passionately about it. Some people will talk passionately about how it's, it's overblown and overestimated. Um, I, I was doing some uh, coaching education with, with a, with a college recently, just we were talking about, uh, some, you know, uh, principles of, of elite coaching and, and culture. And, and, uh, one of the coaches said to me, he said, well, one of the best coaches I've ever been around wasn't a big culture guy. Um, you know, you just really wanted to, to um, bring in really competitive kids and then just focus on winning. And I said, well, that was his culture. <laughs> so I think that, right. um, you know, culture is a buzzword and can get labeled different ways. The way, um, I define the way we've defined it ultimately has, has been, um, that it's the sum of who you are. It's, it's your people, it's your beliefs, it's your attitudes, it's your, uh, it's your attitudes and actions, it's your behaviors. It's, uh, you know, the sum of who you are. Um, and so we kind of broke that down into three big buckets, if you will, in terms of how we were going to define our culture. Um, the first was the pursuit, which is ultimately where are you going and making sure that there's alignment on what that is. And, and, uh, so everybody's got some clarity on, on, um, ultimately the, the goal of, of what we're trying to pursue. Um, you know, for us at the time with Pittsburgh, it was, it was about mastery and it was about being, um, you know, the absolute best we could be pursuing truth over tradition and not falling into the trap of doing things because that's how we've always done them. Uh, I want to be very intentional about, um, uh, about, uh, why we did the things we did in, on this pursuit of, of optimizing performance. Um, the second bucket was our people. Um, I, I think the 
probably the biggest decision you have to make uh, that you make on culture is who, who are you letting in? Who are you um, keeping in? Um, you know, it's the people and, and ultimately the big attitude we had, the big belief we had uh, with Pittsburgh um, on the, on the people side was that people's our greatest resource. Um, it was the idea of people over programs that um, we weren't going to fall into the trap of developing programs and focusing on programs that it was going to be a commitment to our people, um, focusing on our people, optimizing our people, pouring into our people and trying to leverage our people so that they could go uh, be the best they could be and ultimately impact, um, you know, impact who we were and what we did. And then the third bucket's your process, uh, which is your um, operate standard operating procedure, your how you do things, your playbook, if you will. Um, and, and again, the idea of um, the best in the world are the most consistent. Um, they've got a clearly defined process and they stick to that process. Uh, the more consistently we execute our process, the more consistent results we should be able to obtain. Um, and so that was the, the focus was process. Uh, our process earns our results. Um, cared a ton about results. That's why we, uh, they keep score for a reason. Um, but we knew that uh, we didn't have complete control over that, but we could control our process. And uh, so we wanted to, you know, really focus on having a clearly defined process and sticking with it as much as possible. Um, you know, I, I think for us, the importance piece of of culture is, um, again, I think when you start talking about optimizing people, getting the most out of people, well, the who you bring in, the environment that you um, that you create and getting the most out of your people, that culture is everything. And so we wanted to be very intentional and believe in being very intentional in um, investing in uh, making sure there's clarity in um, I think when you've got clarity, you've got a chance for consistency, which is the separator. Um, and you've got a chance for connection uh, across people with each other, but also with your culture and with your purpose. Um, and, and I just think that those um, those ingredients are absolutely critical um, to get the most out of people. I'm, I'm sure that the three P's for the pirates wasn't on purpose at all. Um. <laughs> our guys, our guys like to joke around. We weren't afraid to come up with some alliterations. I, I, uh, I, I tend to think in threes. I don't know if that's because of baseball three up, three down. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a really smart dude, so I, I got to come up with simple ways to try to remember things. So <laughs> love it. Love it. Way to simplify it. So when you first got to the pirates, what was the culture like? Yeah, I, I would probably say uh, pretty normal, pretty traditional uh, in professional baseball. I, mean, I think, you know, we can um, identify things, you know, good, bad, ugly uh, of, of things. And I, and I think you could look at the culture that we worked to create there and say similar things. I think that the simple um, um, way to define it was that it was normal and traditional. Um, and, and I think that's the thing, you know, that is important. I mean, smarter people than me have, have, you know, broken this down and looked at this and, and have, um, you know, identify you're going to have a culture. It's just a matter of, you know, the line of it's either by default or by design. You either have, you know, you're going to have a culture. It's either just what you end up with or you intentionally try to create it. Um, you know, and I, I think normal, um, most people are, end up with a, you know, default. They end up with what they have as opposed to being very intentionally and in trying to create that. So what, what were some of the, the big initial changes that you made in terms of going from tradition to truth? Because baseball is so steeped in tradition. It has such a long history. 
And to flip that switch seems like probably one of the more difficult things to do culture wise within baseball. So, you know, what were some of the initial things that you you pushed on that end? Yeah, it definitely is steeped in tradition. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that I personally have wrestled with is, you know, how do you celebrate honor and um, uh, capitalize on the good traditions? Um, you know, I think change for change sake is not productive. I think eliminate out with the old and in with the new is not productive. Um, there are certain things that have been done a certain way for a hundred years for a reason. And when we try to reinvent the wheel or come up with something different, I think that's a waste of time and energy. So, um, it, it's ultimately just the attitude of we're not going to do things just because that's the way they've been done. Um, be intentional, be purposeful. If that's the best way, then we want to do that and honor that and celebrate that and make sure we're not wasting time in areas that, you know, that's already best practice. That's already the standard, uh, uh, for excellence. So, um, you know, Can you give an example at, of, of something specific about that? Yeah, the, I think actually the the uh, current state of baseball is actually fascinating. Uh, you know, as the as Moneyball came in and you have a different wave of um, executives uh, influencing the way players are evaluated and valued, um, people started to wrestle with some different things. Now, as those executives have now moved beyond evaluation and into the development space, and how players are being coached, um, how we're using data and technology to try to optimize them. Um, you know, I think that it's, well, hey, we've got to do things new and different. Um, you know, there's a, uh, um, a, a few books out now recently have talked about some of the different uh, organizations as they've been on this journey. And some of them have shared that as they studied, um, you know, optimal mechanics, they've realized that maybe Charlie Lau in the 80s knew what he was talking about on <laughs> the ideal mechanics of the swing or Ted Williams back in the 40s and 50s knew what he was talking about on the swing. So, um, you know, I think as we've studied the game and gotten, quote unquote, smarter with the game, we've maybe realized that there is some wisdom and some uh, knowledge base in this game that have been dead on for a really long time. Um, now, are there different ways to measure it, different ways to advance it. Yeah. And we should continue to explore that. Um, but I think just because uh, we can swing too far the opposite way and say, well, it's always been done that way. So it, it, it should be better. The idea of progress and always constantly move forward. Um, you know, we can fall into trap of different, different isn't necessarily progress. Um, and so I think a perfect example is, is like I talked about in terms of uh, maybe swing mechanics where we, um, have realized that no, the, the optimal swing mechanics were things that guys had talked about a long time ago. Um, yeah. What's the, what's the wooden quote? All progress is change, but not all change is progress. Yeah, exactly. And I think we can fall. And, and I think the, the wooden quote that goes with that is the, uh, the idea of don't mistake activity for achievement. I think a lot of right. times we can fall in the trap of we're doing stuff, we're progressing things and really we're just changing things that may or may not be leading to um, being better. Um, and and I, I think that this is a off topic, but I, I think we can fall into, um, you know, the pursuit of learning and growing and getting better, which is all awesome. It's got to be aimed in the right direction. And that's ultimately to be better. Um, and I think sometimes we can fall into, well, what books are you reading? Well, what, how are you learning? What, how are you growing? And it's like, yeah, what is the purpose of that? It's to be better. Um, and I think that's important for us to you know, come back to, which I think ties in with exactly what we're talking about in terms of the truth versus tradition thing of doing things different doesn't necessarily mean, doesn't necessarily mean better. Um, 
again, back to your the original question of um, how did we um, do some things different? Um, you know, as I transitioned in, uh, talked with a lot of people smarter than me that gave me some advice. And most everybody said, hey, take the year to assess, uh, see what you've got, um, observe. Um, my personality is um, doesn't always default to that. It's more of a bias for action. Let's go. And so, um, you know, I, I wasn't I didn't want to waste a year of just observing. And so we decided, hey, we're going to intentionally um communicate who are we going to be how are we going to do things uh from a from a big picture value standpoint and then we'll use this year to see who fits um who bought in who um you know can advance what we're doing um and but then also recognize where are there some maybe some methods and some practices that are already really good why why are we changing them just to change them um so i think that's where the the observation and and assessment came into play um and so going from from tradition to truth, um, the way we, we wanted to redefine for our coaches, um, you know, kind of, um, ultimately what our focus was. So, um, you know, I think that the normal focus in, in professional baseball, uh, on the minor league side is about, um, you know, getting guys to the big leagues. Um, we wanted to shift that focus to be our job is to get the most out of our players. And so it was a player focus, trying to get the most out of them. Um, our job as coaches was was to help them. Um, the unique thing about baseball is that most, and especially at the time, 10, 15 years ago, uh, most coaches are former players. And so their mindset has always been to be get to the big leagues and then start coaching. And the goal is to get to the big leagues. And so our focus can become on ourselves um, and or can be on um you know, just trying to get players to the big leagues. Well, some players need to be and should be all-stars. So if we just give them the big leagues, that's not necessarily good development. So we wanted to find, redefine what our focus was, and that was going to be optimizing players. It was going to be about developing world championship men, um, the idea of developing pros, um, because uh, just bo- we believe that um, – Ultimately, excellence is a function of consistency and dependability, um, which is a function of, of who you are as a man and making sure that we are developing world-class uh, championship people on and off the field. Um, and then I think the, the third focus, um, you know, for us was that we were going to be um, very much a coaching-centric uh, development system. Um, this wasn't going to be the traditional approach in baseball as the cream rises to the top. Um, and we wanted to make sure that, um, we felt like good coaches could impact, uh, players development. And so we were going to invest in making sure that we had, um, good coaches and a good coaching culture to try to get the most out of everybody. Yeah. It sounds like a fun culture to be a part of as a player. And, and I, I felt it as a guest when I first showed up, I was definitely nervous and like, do I really belong here? I feel a little out of place. Uh, who, who these guys are going to think I am some like random beach volleyball dude. Um, <laughs> but you know, I come to a room of like 40 people and everyone is just so genuinely welcoming and went out of their way. Like each, each day would come out and like introduce themselves and just had, um, just thoughtful conversations and you could just, just feel the sense of how, how uh, safe and how welcomed I was. And I'm wondering how you, how you create that with your staff and, how do you guys get it to feel so genuine and not like, oh, this is what you have to do when some someone new comes? Yeah, yeah, I think you got to hire good people. Um, I, I think the uh, best 
things that I did as a leader was hire good people. And probably the worst things I did was um, maybe some of the lesser <laughs> uh, hires. Um, but I mean, it, all joking aside that when, when you hire good people, um, talented people, uh, just high character quality people, you've got a chance to have a good culture. Um, you know, that there's lots of, um, of, uh, you know, recommendations on, on leadership in terms of, you know, you hire for character, you teach the skills, you teach the competencies. And so, you know, hiring good people is, is first and foremost. Um, you know, I think the, the second part is, um, you know, clarity and what your expectations are and, and, and what the values are that, that you want to push. And I think some of what you felt, um, you know, John, I think it is ultimately a reflection on, you know, a commitment for treating people the right way, treating people how you want to be treated, golden rule, um, you know, respect for others. Um, but then also, I think a, um, a a genuine desire to get better. And so if somebody news in, in town where it's OK, it's probably for a reason. And let's try to figure out how we can learn from them. Um, you know, I think some of that comes back, back to that truth versus tradition. Um, you know, we were able to bring in a lot of different people from different arenas of life. Um, you know, the, the idea that excellence is excellence, it doesn't matter what arena it is, those principles apply. And so we wanted to learn from a lot of different, different people. And, um, you know, initially that was like, yeah, but these guys aren't baseball guys. Well, over time we, we got to the point where we recognized, Hey, I don't care where this guy comes from. If he's an elite dude, I want to learn from him. And, um, you know, so I think there's that genuine curiosity, genuine, uh, desire for, for growth from, from a lot of the people we had. Um, and then I think the other part of it is just, I think people crave connection. And I think when you can create an environment where not only is connection, um, celebrated and desired, but it's encouraged and supported, um, you know, I think that can show up in a lot of different shapes and sizes, um, we had hired a, a guy from the, uh, had worked in the NFL for a while and, um, he, his first spring training with us, like a weekend, we're, we're sitting down and I was asking his opinions because I wanted to know what did he have? Um, because that fresh lens, that unbiased, um, you know, expertise lens of like, why are you doing it this way? And we'd say, be, we'd find ourselves sometimes going, well, I guess it's because we've always done it that way. And that's probably not a good reason. So that <laughs> right. we, we sat down once a week and I just go through where, what were your observations? And, and one of his observations one week, he goes, Hey, don't take this the wrong way. He said, it amazes me how much you guys touch each other. <laughs> and I said, what, what, what do you mean? He said, no, he said, just, you know, whether it be handshakes, whether it be hugs, it was just a high physical touch environment. And I, I think that's probably somewhat a product of, of who we had had hired. But I think part of it also is creating that that um, creating that environment that is committed to connection, genuine connection. Um, and obviously, there's a lot that goes into creating that. But I think that's an important part of that as well. And then say you, you make a, a hire, someone's great in the interview, but they initially, you know, they get into the culture and it just doesn't feel like a good fit. Um you know, what can you do to catch them up to speed or I guess, what do you do in those situations? Um, and, and basically I'm wondering is, you know, culture teachable? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I, I think, um, I definitely think culture is teachable. Um, you know, I, I tend to be more, I've joked with people that I'm just a development minded guy. And so I, I think we can teach and coach and help everyone. Um, I think as a leader that can get you in trouble sometimes, 
um, because there's probably some personnel decisions where you, you know, you need to move on from someone sooner than maybe you do just because you think you can help everybody. Um, and I, and I do believe that you can, um, definitely can teach culture and can help people. Um, the question ultimately then becomes, and this is the important one is, um, you know, how much rope do you give? Um, I think the important thing for me as, as a leader always was to recognize that, that, that is, um, I, you know, I have to take ownership of that situation and, and that decision. Um, and if we're, I think it's easy I think you can fall in trap as coaches with players, but you can fall into it as leaders with um, with staff of, well, that guy's not good enough or that um, woman's not good enough or that person's not doing their job when ultimately at the end of the day, that's a reflection on me, either my hiring decision um, or how I'm coaching and leading them. Um, so I think that attitude has to you know permeate everything you do, just an ownership standpoint. Um, but then it comes down to, trying to recognize why are we not getting, um, you know, maybe what, what the be the desired behavior we want. Um, you know, Bernie holiday, who I know you guys had on, who's, um, definitely an example of, of one of my best hires, um, really talented dude. Um, you know, he used to always say all behavior is purposeful. It's not always useful. Um, and so at some point that behavior was useful, um, but it may not be anymore. And so it's important for us as coaches with players or as leaders with staff to try to figure out why are we getting the behavior we're getting, um, try to peel back some layers, paint the picture on what's really going on so that we can then figure out the best way to coach that person. Um, so I think ultimately, can you teach uh, culture? Yes, I think um, how teachable it is is probably a function of both how good of a leader or coach you are and then also the staff member or player um, how re uh, receptive to learning and growing are they? Um, but I think there's some different factors um, that, that uh, as a leader, you need to factor in as you go through and say, hey, how much rope am I going to give this person as we try to grow them? Yeah. So if you're if you're not getting the behavior you want and I mean, I picture this as a coach, you give immediate feedback to the player. But I'm, I'm wondering from like coach to coach or manager to coach. Is this immediate feedback or is this, hey, let's let's step into the office later today and and chat through it? Or like, I guess, how do you coach someone up on this sort of thing? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I think a lot of the same principles, I think coaching is coaching. And so I think the principles that make you a good coach with athletes um, it can make you a, a good leader with with adults. I think, um, you know, as you factor in, um, you know, like as a coach with a player, and, I, and I'm going to give feedback. I'm not going to give the same feedback to every player. I'm, I'm going to tailor my feedback to that player. And I think the same thing applies uh, with a coach. So the timing of it, the delivery of it, um, you know, how it's delivered is, is going to be a function of who that um, staff member is, um, how he best learns, how he best receives uh, information, but also lead my relationship with that individual. Um, you know, if, I, if I've got a strong relationship with that individual and, and they know I care about them, um, and they trust that I am committed to helping them be the best they can be, and they're secure in their own um, pursuit of mastery, then I may give them feedback right there on the spot. Um, if it's something, you know, if one of those variables is, is different and or it is a bigger behavior change, then that may be a situation where we need to have more of a formal uh, sit down and have conversation in terms of, hey, where are we at? What are we trying to get done here? And, and be able to move that along. I, I think the key is um, both that it happens, because I think a lot of times, 
at least when we're coaching adults or coaching peers, we tend to avoid that um, uncomfortable conversation. Um, and then I think the other part of it is is the um, you know, just the the um, trying to tailor it to the individual to tr- to try to maximize that feedback. So it seems like striving. You, you know, you're talking about helping out coaches and peers and, and the people in management more than the athletes. But striving to get to the major leagues as a player seems like a stressful and, and pretty cutthroat experience for the athletes. How do you help the athletes feel safe, supported? Um, when, when there's so much stress and failure along that route. Yeah, I think it's a great conversation. I don't think I was great at it early. Um, I think, yeah, I like to think that, uh, got better, um, as, as time went on and create and was more intense about creating a culture, um, that was able to help players navigate that. Um, and I, and I think there's, so I think there's a few factors that go into it. I, I think, um, you know, the first for me comes down to a culture of care. I just, I think if, if uh, players feel cared for, if people feel cared for, um, as a person independent of your performance, um, you know, I think that there is a, a better chance of, um, of a player being able to risk some things. I think of the, of that player recognizing that his worth is not tied into his performance. And so we can probably get a more vulnerable athlete. We can probably get an athlete that's willing to risk more, um, you know, and, and so I think that is a big part of it. I, I think the second part of it is uh, being very intentional about creating a, a culture of mastery and understanding what goes into that. And so if my ultimate the pursuit I'm on is trying to be the best I can be, it's not about a certain performance. It's not about a certain end state. Um, it's the journey I'm on and an understanding of what is involved in that journey, which is a lot of mistakes, a lot of risks, a lot of mistakes, a lot of learning. And so if we've educated the player um, on that process and then we've ultimately responded to mistakes appropriately, um, you know, I think we've got a chance to have a more freed up, more vulnerable, more real, uh, more willing to risk uh, athlete. Um, and, and I think that that uh, our response is probably more important than our education on the front end. I think the education is critical to help a player understand what does learning really look like, that learning is messy, that learning requires uh, risk, that learning is going to involve mistakes. Um, uh, but I think that our response in the moment is way more important than that because um, how that coach responds, especially in competition, um, you know, either validates all the stuff I've been saying when there hasn't been any pressure or it undermines that. And so I, I think that is, um, you know, absolutely critical. Um, I think the third part um, of this is um, of trying to create this environment it is ultimately a, um, just a continued commitment to invest in helping players, um, their, their, their pursuit as men and to truly understand who you are, um, understand your why, understand your strengths, um, and be secure in that and be anchored in that. I, I think that, um, especially as men, but I think, um, as performers, as athletes and the higher you go, the more there's a desire, a pull to pose pretend and posture as opposed to truly be authentic and real in who you are um, and be secure in that. And uh, so I think as coaches, um, it's important for us to create an environment and help that player find out who is he really, um, what is his why, um, 
you know, what, what's his purpose? Um, what are his core convictions? What are the things he believes strongly in that he's willing, you know, you know, to get fired over or whatever? Um, what are his strengths, his signature strengths that he's bringing to the fight? Um, to help that player realize that, then you've got a chance for him to be um, consistent and secure in those things as opposed to try to pose, pretend, posture, fit in, whatever else it may be. Um, I, love, I love that. What, what are you willing to get fired over? That's yeah, I mean, that's a, a, that's, putting it. and that's a that's a Bernie Holiday uh, reframe that we use. I mean, we always talked about core convic- core convictions or um, you know those things that are your absolutes, your non negotiables, and I think um, you know it just adds a level of, I think there's a lot of things we maybe like and believe in, but the things that you're like, Hey, I, at the end of the day, I, I'm willing, I'm going to go to the map over this. I'm willing to, to end my career, if you will, over this. Um, and when you've got that depth of conviction, then you've got a chance for, for consist- consistency off of it. Um, I think the other thing that just, I, I'll tell you one other thing. And then a, and a quick story that kind of brings us to light, um, in terms of just our own journey of wrestling with it. But um, I, I think the other part of it is, you know, as we wrestle with um, the, the landscape today and, and uh, developing players and helping them grow and, and, you know, whether it be mental health, wellness, um, emotional wellness, whatever um, spiritual health um, you want to talk about. I think the two things that um, we can't ever lose sight of is the importance of purpose and connection. And if I have purpose, and I'm connected, I've got a chance to navigate whatever situation environment we're in. And I think as coaches and leaders, it's important for us to continue to, you know, help that player find his purpose and connect it to the bigger purpose. Um, but also that connection piece, the, the, the importance of relationships, genuine, authentic, uh, relationships is absolutely critical. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I think those, those factors in as well. Um, we, I'll share a story in terms of our journey of wrestling with some of this. So we um, did a ton of, of coach education. I, I just, I felt like um, if we as coaches weren't getting better, um, you know, we owed that to the players to continue to try to get better and, and explore ways to continue to grow. I think the other importance for it um, for our coaches and, and for all of us was the idea of sometimes I think we forget about what learning is really like. And we can have unrealistic expectations uh, for our athletes of what learning should look like and how easy it should happen. Um, but when we have to wrestle with some things ourselves, we remember that it's messy and hard and uncomfortable and, and all those things. So we did a ton of, of coach education. And, and one specific thing that uh, really um, helped us grow, I think, in this specific space was we did some stuff with uh, some of Brene Brown's stuff on vulnerability. And um, you talk about truth over tradition, um, getting a bunch of middle-aged um, baseball, professional baseball coaches to sit down and watch Brene Brown talk about vulnerability um, oh. made, made uh, some uncomfortable moments. And it was one I was like, hey, this we need to hear this, but this is I don't know that this is going to land at all. Um but we actually had one of our key leaders, uh, pitching, those pitching coordinator, Scott Mitchell, um, who, um, had a ton of influence on staff and he was sitting in the front row and I can't remember which clip we used, but she was ultimately talking about, you know, someone talking about vulnerability and, um, you know, really, you know, she just preferred to, you know, have a glass of wine and a banana nut muffin and avoid it. And he's like kind of laughs and turns around and looks at everybody and says, is she talking to me right now? So, um, it like just diffused the room and guys, uh, you know, it was, it was really awesome moment, but, um, an example of where we tried to take a risk to, 
to uh, continue to grow in this space. But but some really good Brene's got some really good content to um, add some uh, depth to you know how we wrestle with with this topic. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't think that's how people picture you know major league coaches spending their time watching Brene Brown videos. So. Yeah, I don't know that it is uh, a, a common one, but we tried yeah. it and and was a was a productive productive conversation. Truth over tradition. I love it. Yeah. That was part one of our conversation with Kyle Stark. Join us next week for part two.